All right, welcome to the first episode of the Hand on the Line podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Boggs. I am currently figuring all this tech stuff out. I am trying to get the sounds right. This microphone's a little sensitive. Maybe I'll get an upgrade. We'll get a little more street cred and see where I go with this. I had some better headphones on a couple minutes ago, but I already took a shower and they were making me sweat, so I sacrificed that professional look for, uh, you know, the old school iPhone headphones. Anyways... So here's hand on the line. So what can you expect out of this? Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I love offensive line play. I played my whole life from seven years old in Pop Warner. That means I sucked at sports, and they just kind of put you on the O-line. There's weight classes in Pop Warner. So played O-line my whole life, and um, you can hear a lot about offensive line play. I also love strength and conditioning. I was one of those guys that, you know, sometimes – I had to remind myself why I was lifting. I lo- enjoyed it so much. So I kind of forget, oh, football's getting in the way of my big squat. So I'd have to remind myself I'm squatting for football, not uh, the other way around. And so you'll hear a lot about strength and conditioning. I love martial arts, love the UFC. That'd be my number two sport. Actually, it would go like this, offensive line, UFC, then football as a whole. Those would be the orders of my sports. I consider uh, a lot of times O-line its own sport. That's how I watch it. That's how I enjoy it. I like watching the coaches copy. I don't like watching. I don't like hearing uh, Chris Collinsworth. I know he's great at his job, but I don't like hearing him. Whatever. A lot of people won't like hearing me. It's all good. Um, and uh, I'm getting my master's in counseling after working with so many head cases and playing with head cases. Being a head case, I figured there was more to the performance side than just getting a big squat or clean or leaning out or gaining weight. I saw this whole mental aspect. And uh, it took me down some rabbit holes, and eventually I went back to school. So I'll be talking a lot about that. I love uh, connecting the dots with counseling and football, specifically O-line. That's what I enjoy. But it's really cool when I look at they're talking mental development. I could take out a word and turn it into football, and things start to click. So, in fact, we'll probably talk about some stuff like that today. Um, The way I'm going to roll with this, things come up. I'm pretty active on Twitter. I see some topics. I maybe jot some notes down, but at the end of the day, it's not content. Uh, I've done content before. I don't really like it. I like to just freestyle. I like to just talk, um, maybe confuse myself, and then get out of that confusion. Maybe I confuse some others. Maybe that's what happens. Hopefully by the end of a recording, whatever I decide to talk about, whether it's something from counseling class, something from uh, football, not a lot of football going on yet. There's no pads. Um, Or strength and conditioning. I just talk about it. Hopefully, I'm less confused by the end of it. Hopefully, I don't confuse a lot of you. Um, yeah, so, and oh, I want to share a story. How did I get this hand on the line podcast? So, uh, I went to Humboldt State University. They used to have football. Um, F them now, unless they bring it back, then we're cool. But for the meantime, F them. So, I played, um, I played, well, I didn't play the first year. I didn't make my team, the team there in 2007, but 2008, 2009, 2010, I played there. Um, in 2008, we had a new coaching staff came in, come in, which helped me out a lot. We kept our strength coach, Drew Peterson. He's like a father to me, one of my favorite human beings on earth. I talk to him every day. Um, so when I didn't make that team in 07, maybe that's a different story. It's a long story. So I didn't make that team in 07. When that staff got fired, I had been just filming practices, filming games for Humboldt State in 2007, and they sucked. So just to show you, I sucked too. They were two and eight. So 
I was filming the two and eight team. And all good guys, though. I mean, everyone worked hard. Um, so the new staff came in, and Drew Peterson, after I spent the whole offseason doing the – or whole in-season and off-season doing the redshirt program, uh, he kind of got me in high graces with the new coaching staff, pumped me up. Oh, he's athletic. He moves well. I don't think any of that's true, but that's what he said. I was a weight room guy, so that's what I had going for me. Um, and I could catch a uh, a clean and snatch at the bottom, and not a lot of guys can do that in football. In Olympics, different. So new staff comes in, and two other great men on that staff that, you know, as the saying goes, I ended up with basically three coaches I would run through a wall, uh, run through a wall for, um, even though I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. So two of the coaches, uh, Coach P, Manoa Puano, was my offensive line coach. Great guy. Um, when he got there, and then and the D-line coach, Solomon Tapasa, Coach Taps, when they got there, you could tell they didn't kind of fit that archetype of, uh, these are not our guys. This is a two and nine team or two and eight team for a reason. Uh, we just got to get through this year, maybe get through another year, then we'll build a culture with our guys. Like they wanted to win, and it was very evident. They they just looked different from the rest of the coaching staff. Same with Drew. Like he got fourteen weeks to train us before we even hired a coach because Humboldt State does things stupid and slow. But anyways, we got really strong thanks to that, thanks to their uh, lack of urgency. So we uh, bring in these guys, and they're just amazing. They're like, I remember him being like, man, he's going to be All-American. He's got good feet. I'd be like, look at man, we didn't, we didn't win a game last year. Like, we got negative two yards in the final game of the season, and they were just talking guys up in high regard. Man, this guy's going to be good, and I love them because of that because I was like, man, you could tell the guys that were, let's say, new, um, the way they might have got treated because they were their guys and the guys that were part of that two and eight regime were looked down differently. And I think that's pretty common thing, right? You know, it's like you can't teach an old dog new tricks type thing. We just need to get our culture in there, get rid of these guys. It's sad, but it's what I've always experienced. So Coach Tabs, we would um anyways, I'm just rambling for no reason. That has nothing to do with the name of the podcast, Hand on the Line Podcast. So, anyways, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, some men I hold in high regard. And um, so, hand on the line, we would run back when – I don't think they even do two-a-days anymore. In the NFL, we didn't do two-a-days. We'd do a walkthrough and a real practice. But back in Humboldt, we would have two-a-days, and we would run one hundreds, not one tens, one hundreds every practice. That year on the schedule, we had 11 games, so we went up going two and nine. So we had two and eight with the old staff, two and nine with the new staff. The new staff had a ton of success, though, down the road. Still rambling. Okay, so we went, had 11 games on the schedule, so we'd run 11 100s. And then the coach would go, hey, champions run one more. So we'd run 12 at every practice. So, you know, in a day, you run 24 100s. Ironically, I'm going to ramble again. Ironically, uh, one of the key issues we wanted to work on was we weren't big enough we weren't strong enough and we weren't fast enough is there getting weird feedback with this i apologize i'll step this mic game up pretty soon uh just let me get my street cred with this podcast just bear with me so we um 
we'd run 24 a day because champions do one more. And we went two and nine. And, um, but the D-line coach, Solomon Tapasa, he's from Samoa. His awesome accent. And he would go, O-line, D-line, hand on the line. And we'd start running. You know, and that, that's how he did it. Every time. So 24 times a day during whole camp, you'd hear, O-line, D-line, hand on the line, go. And we'd run 100 yards. And uh, it just stuck with me. I'd say for everything. I'd be like, hand on the line. I don't know. For every camp, you lose your mind during camp. So I would just say, hand on the line all the time. In fact, we had a, um, like a skit night. So skit night was when, at, towards the end of camp, everyone's fed up. They do something similar in the NFL, too. And I don't know what D1 schools do. I don't know what, like, I don't know what the privilege do. But D2, we did a skit night. And um, we would, you know, mock somebody in the team. So it just so happened we were like, we had a bunch of characters on this D-line, and we had this guy's voice, Coach Tapp's voice, the great Coach Tapp. He's in Southern Utah now, coaching there. And he goes, so I was pretending to be Coach Tapps, And I would say, O-line, D-line, hand on the line. And I'd be like, Desmond Maxwell, hand on the line. And We'd have one of our old linemen dressed like the D lineman doing all their stupid, goofy moves and swims and stuff. So maybe just stuff. Maybe I was hating. Maybe it's stuff we wish we could do. But we that's that was our skit night. And he came over to me and he was, that's a fucking terrible Samoan accent. I think it's great. And I think it's still great because when I still say hand on the line, in my head, it's in, I don't know if it's him or me talking. That's how good my accent is, I feel like. So I hear hand on the line. So that's how we got the hand on the line podcast thing stuck with me. Since 08, so long time. And so that's where we're at. Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, because something came up with a couple of my friends. I'm going to be checking my phone. Maybe one day I'll have, like, the screen in and you can see what I'm looking at. We're not there yet. This is still IE style, Inland Empire, California. Right? We know we're going to get to Scottsdale, Arizona one day. Something along those lines. Um... So I was going to talk about, because my friends and I had a lot of discussions about this football player, and I honestly didn't know. Um, I, I've, I've, when I looked at the schedule, Carl, Carl Nassib. So I, I have played against him uh, in some preseason stuff. He was an end, not an interior, but yeah, so he's been on quite a few teams. I was on quite a few teams, played against him, don't really know who he is. Um, when I watch games... Most of the time, like, I'm watching guards and centers and looking at the three techs and stuff. So, he's the end. So, he comes out as the first openly gay football player. I think much respect. You know what I mean? Regardless of what you feel about the situation, you're not cool with um, homosexuality, you're not cool with gay marriage. My thing is, I don't care. Do not care. Uh, Do what you got to do. Do what makes you happy, you know? Don't hurt anyone. So I think there's things way worse than that. That's my stance. I'm not going to try to get political here because I'm just trying to get some street cred. So I'm not going to get too deep into this. But at the end of the day, just know I don't care. I got gay family members. Love them. No problem. So and that's what everyone says. I got a black friend. I got a gay friend. I can say it. I'm probably the king of that. But I won't say it on this podcast. I'm not going to not gonna get canceled yet. Not on one episode. So it comes out. I think it's great. I got much respect for that. Um as uh, I think as Nassim Tlaib says, you should check out Nassim Tlaib. He says the one virtue 
you can't fake is courage. Like, look up the virtues. You can find a way to fake them. And then I read some stuff. I don't want to say who it was, but, you know, he was just saying, we're just taking advantage of the situation. He's going to get a payday. I don't care about the, na- the, the positive side effects of him coming out. At the end of the day, like, it still took a degree of courage for him to come out. Like, things that were mentioned was that the NFL logos are all rainbow. Um, and the team logos are all rainbow, right? I mean, everything's rainbow. Even my Zillow app, trying to look up houses, I couldn't find that. It was rainbow. So, they're all rainbow now, and he took advantage of it, and he knew it was perfect timing. I don't, I don't think that changes anything. In my opinion, it doesn't change anything. Because I don't think that the, that rainbow that the marketing team of the NFL decided to put out has anything to do with what's happening in the organization top to bottom. So, I mean, do you really think that in the NFL, that from Roger Goodell all the way down to the field crew, everyone is okay with um, homosexuality, LGBTQ, all that gay marriage? You're out of your mind. Those rainbow symbols, they're just symbolic. It was marketing. You could just play it out in your head. Hey, turns out we don't have a lot of gay fans. Why don't we take advantage of uh, putting some rainbows on our logo for a Pride Month? I don't know how it went down. I don't know how they got there. But I'm telling you, within the organization, whether it's a team or the entire NFL, there's zero chance that the whole league, top to bottom, is supportive of gay people. And it's, I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's what it is. I am. All right, don't cancel me. So when, in my mind, I, I respect uh, Carl. I think that was, I think it showed great courage. As I said, it's, a, it's the virtue that can't be faked. Because regardless of what Rainbow is showing up on Twitter, and that team right now, he's got a 90-man roster. He's going to show up to camp. And maybe there's a tight end that's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm going to cut at his knee. I don't like this. I don't agree with his lifestyle. That took courage because that's a real possibility. I'm not saying I don't I don't know who his Titans are. But right now there's 90 guys on that roster. I'm sure all of them are not cool with it. I'm sure all of them are not cool with the shower situation. And he still came came out and said it. So to me, showed a great deal of courage. And 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 then the roster will be 53, 90 to 53, right? I'm I, I respect it. So much respect to Carl. Regardless of what your feelings are about um, homosexuality, gay marriage, I mean, much respect came out that 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 showed courage. I mean, like, really think about this. Uh, that was the big argument I've seen. Like, he's taking advantage of of the situation. He's gonna get paid. Good for him. Good for him. A lot of people uh, take advantage of the NFL shield. I think you should. You leave the game. I think you got two years where you're relevant, maybe, where you could use that NFL shield to um, get some money. Why not? You're leaving at the average. You're leaving. The, I think the average age that they're done is 25. Uh, you better find a way to make some more money because, uh, <laughs> I mean, you got a lot of living to do if you're just going to shut it down 25, 26. So, yeah, leverage it as you can. I've seen a guy from California that he has more pictures in in a Jets practice uniform then he did then he spent days in training camp meaning he had like 40 pictures and he was cut like day three of training camp and in his 
bio. He's got his bio says former NFL player. Good for him. You know what I mean? Was he an NFL player? In my opinion, no. Did he ever make a 53 man roster? No. Is he vested? No. But he leveraged that. And at 23 years old, um, it looks like he has a lucrative business. So uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. But so, oh, yeah. So if Carl is going to be a benefactor of NFL partaking in Pride Month and maybe he gets a book deal, maybe he gets to cover Out Magazine, I'm all for it. Good for him. That's just the positive side effect. At the end of the day, he's still going to have to face 90 men and eventually 53 men. And hopefully they're cool. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully 100% of the league is open-minded like me. Hopefully. But, I mean, at the end of the day, what the NFL was doing is marketing. What, like, don't be ridiculous. We've seen a lot of leagues or a lot of businesses take a shot where, let's just say, because everything's political right now. Everything's left, right. I'm politically homeless. I like it that way because I get to live in a world of nuance. I love nuance. We used to call that the N-word. That's racist, though. So um, when, like, I don't know, Gillette, they took a shot. They catered to the left's opinion. And I think Dollar Shave Club, I think that's what I use. Uh, but do not cancel because I didn't do it for political reasons. I did it for convenience. I think they had like the Manly Man logo and Gillette had the Toxic Masculinity logo. And I think businesses have taken these shots and it's not affected them negatively. Like you think they're going to lose half of their um, half of their following or half of their customers, especially not the NFL. Like what, what else are you going to watch? Like what are the, the toxic, toxic masculine men, what are they going to do? They're going to just go UFC and hockey? Well, what are they going to do the rest of the year? They're going to watch ba- basketball? They're not going to watch basketball. I'll tell you that much. So, at the end of the day, it's just marketing. It's like, it's like that Kobe commercial. Rest in peace, Kobe. With the Sprite. You watch Kobe. He's, he's working up a sweat, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly. And he does a squat. And it's got chains on the bar. This is before Westside went really commercial. He does a squat. And it's much better than LeBron squat, mind you. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying his squat was prettier than the squats that circulate the internet for LeBron. And he goes down. And uh, he's sweating, and he walks over, and he gets a Sprite, and you hear, Shh, right? You hear that crispy sound, and then goop, 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 goop. And you go, dang, I want some of that Sprite. It's delicious, right? So refreshing. And then it'll make my fade away like Kobe's, and it'll make my squat better. Like, what? It's just marketing. Like, that Sprite has nothing to do with performance. I know Mayweather and probably Chad Ochocinco. I think Mayweather does Sprite and orange soda. That sounds racist. I think he does. I think he does mountain whatever. He drinks two types of sugar water that are carbonated with caffeine. This is not anything to do with race, and but he's an anomaly. But in the, the day, like that sprite had nothing to do with Kobe being a great basketball player. It's just marketing. The same thing with like um, these rainbows with the NFL. Like it has nothing to do with it. It's just the NFL and. At the end of the day, I'm just saying that Carl, regardless of anyone's opinion, showed courage um, coming out. It's not easy. I just find it hard to believe that all 90 and eventually 50, well, that's 89 and 52 other people in that roster are okay with it. And that's the harder part. You know, like, you get beat, you have a bad game, that's more what you're worried about. You know, the coach's opinion of it. 
and the players you got to look at. So, you know, like if you, even if, if you, I could see a lot of ways that this could challenge many people's egos. And I hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully I'm wrong. All I'm saying is that much respect to Carl. As Nazim Tlaib says, you cannot fake courage. I don't even know what the other virtues are. I mean, I imagine like integrity. I'm, I'm sure you could find a way to, f- I get what he's saying. Like, I imagine integrity. You can fake integrity. But courage, like at the end of the day, uh, oh, he's not being courageous because he's going to get a $10 million book deal. Screw that. Like, I think we're past that idea. Like, uh, I think people turned down a lot of great possibilities because of what could happen to them now. And that'd be a lack of courage. So, there. That whole rambling, I've talked about Sprite, Kobe, Mayweather, Mountain Dew, uh, Gillette. Gee, just to say, much respect to Carl. Um, I had another interesting conversation on Twitter, and dang it, his name escapes me, but it was an Altus guy. And I love Altus. I love Altus for performance. Altus is the awesome, they're the best strength and conditioning uh, for track in the in the world. And they get team sports and they get nuance and they get context and they're always growing and changing. I love that. I love people that say I don't know. Uh, I think Dan Paff, Dan Paff is an amazing coach, an amazing person. Stuart McMill, like Stuart McMillan. I'm going to mix them up. Stuart McGill is the spine guy. Stuart McMillan. These guys are awesome. And they're, uh, they show hum- humility. But anyways, he was he asked a question about um, what's more important to team sports. It's Look, it's really hard for me to look at team sports as a whole. I always go right to O-line. I think I could generally get the rest of the field, like a g- general idea. But it's not something I'm really um, interested in having being great understanding of the rest of the field. It's something like I would just listen to an expert and be like, oh, I don't know. Oh, great insight, you know. But O-line, that's what I like. So he asked a question. It was, what's more important to team sports, max acceleration or max deceleration? Acceleration means starting your starting speed, you know, coming off that line, O-line terms coming off the ball pass pro run block doesn't matter that's your acceleration and deceleration is you're slowing down i think like maybe the something they were talking about is like you never get the full deceleration you never fully stop in team sports um and i've looked at it like just from a movement standpoint i was like hey yeah this is really interesting but if you look at offensive line which one's more important you take a pass set if you're taking pass pro, you have acceleration um then you decelerate your body you slow yourself down or some guy stop like dj humphreys he just beats the dn to his spot so he accelerates fast decelerates comes to a stop and then he gets ready to engage and then decelerate a guy again so most guys accelerate decelerate themselves then hopefully hopefully we decelerate another human being gosh damn it this thing is this thing is intimidating that's no, I was going to say something. I feel you, Carl. This is intimidating. Much respect to the man with courage. So, anyways, um, there's a guy. There's this guy, Ross Cooper. Awesome. Uh, he played D1 football. He's a DB. And I think he coaches high school, and I think he trains guys privately. But regardless, he just has an awesome mind. 
and he's really into like the self-organization and development with guys and he's really he just gets it like there's a couple guys like uh there's a there's a bunch of coaches on there and there's too many o-line coaches for me to say right now who are awesome and i could always learn from and always pick their brain and even just follow their post there i i don't want to name any because i'm gonna miss them uh and that would suck but he's db coach i don't really follow dbs but like if you're looking at sports in general even mma he has good commentary before like the fights so he said he was like yeah but um in in football basically you can't have one without the other otherwise you're just gonna run really fast and not be able to stop and get smacked basically but he was saying neither of these things matter if you're not able to make decisions so that was like okay yeah you're right like i'm overthinking this so his idea of like make this decision making ability adaptability to the demands and the crazy part of the game so that's what he's talking about um and give him a follow i think it's, it's ross cooper i think it's gorilla missiles at gorilla missiles like a play on gorilla muscles all right so that just had me going down these crazy rabbit holes and made me think okay right so it's very nuanced it comes down to your ability to adapt ability to make decisions it's not really an offensive line are you really ever max accelerating max decelerating i don't know i mean we play with a wide base we're going backwards we're going at an angle it's it's different right and i'm not saying you don't work these things like yes work your squats work your acceleration work your deceleration work your agility work your basic you know general strength and conditioning program like it's going to help you right what we're doing there is oh sorry what we're doing there is ultimately trying to uh get stronger bigger fast however you want to word it you're trying to enhance traits that show up in skill right because uh i think we've come past we're past the idea of like all you have to do is just get really strong all you have to do is just get really fast and you'll be better at football it's it's more nuanced than that especially o-line play is very skill oriented it's very unnatural right um and then you could overthink that too you know what i mean maybe sometimes it is just keep it simple go get strong and go hit somebody right i think people are different you know some guys uh some people you wanted to see the whole field Everything that's going on. Oh, what blitz does it look like coming? Other guys, you don't want to confuse them with that. You just say, see guy, hit guy. You know, if it's a blitz, just fall back hard and hit that guy harder. You don't have to know what's going on. Other guys, you'd be like, hey, you see that coming? You know, like a center, they're going to see it coming, right? Well, maybe your guard is just see guy and hit him. Anyways, so that one... What Ross was saying and what the Altus guy was saying, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. It just took me down a bunch of rabbit holes. Looking at people's films, thinking of like left tackle, okay? We're talking acceleration, deceleration, which is more important. Like I said, DJ Humphreys, left tackle, Arizona. Watch this film. Beats the D lineman to the spot. It doesn't matter who he's going against. He beats him to the spot. He stops, so he's accelerating, and then he decelerates, and then he plays ball again you know re-engages and then you got like joe thomas he accelerates but his was like his set was like about a timing it looked slow like if a young guy was watching it like i remember even 
uh, we had a guy on the practice squad in Chicago as Bushrod. He was like, does Joe Thomas look like he's playing slow? And Bushrod was like, no, he plays efficient because he just moved and it was about timing. He took a set. He set extremely vertical and he just kind of timed up contact, you know, and uh, it, it just worked for him. Like with DJ, it, it, it really is acceleration and deceleration. There's a lot of space. By the time he decelerates, there's a lot of space between him and the defender on contact. He's waiting. That's how fast he is. It's not everyone. So when you have these topics, when you when you talk about this with offensive line play, it really is. It's really about the offensive line athlete's ability to um, adapt and make decisions. It's not. It, it's not a, most of the time, especially at the higher levels. It's not a fix in the weight room, unfortunately, because we would all like that. Because most alignment like lifting, so. It brought me to, I got in my counseling class last week. I'm just going to read a quote. Again, when I get a little street cred, you will see what I read. Right now, just maybe you rewind it and hear it again. So these Macy conferences made an important breakthrough by providing a new and exciting epistemology, a new paradigm for conceptualizing how systems retain their stability through self-regulation as a result of reinserting the results of past performances into current functioning. Perhaps even more significant, a way to change patterns of future performances by alerting feedback information was emerging. Researchers from both the physical and social sciences, so I think O-Line, this is right up O-Line's alley, right? Right up development's alley. We're talking, this is counseling, but we're talking social and physical sciences. We're talking about self-organization. So they began to explore these systems of cybernetic notions, could be how they could be applied to various fields in which both living and non-living entities could be governed, governed by self-regulation, feedback loops that become activated to correct errors. I got a crack on my phone, sorry, of deviation in the systems and thus restore stability in the process of reaching uh, pre-programmed goals. I feel pretty good. I didn't mess up a lot of words there, and there was a lot of big words. Um, so... What does all that mean? Okay, basically, with with O line play, like if we're looking at, oh, is it, oh, do we need to get stronger? You could always say, yeah, get stronger. Do I need to work acceleration, deceleration? Yeah. But if I have a problem with an offensive line athlete, we need to be looking at like their past performances. What, what, how has that inhibited their current and future performances? Like what's messing them up? And that's how he took me down this whole rabbit hole, Ross, with um self-organization so when i start looking at like the development aspect the skill acquisition aspect okay just follow me here i think that with the strength and conditioning what we're trying to do whatever you're gonna have your why right many will say we're just trying to get bigger faster stronger we're trying to produce more force we're trying to get our rate of force development whatever right you're just trying to get peak changes and adaptations in the weight room to hopefully hopefully show up on the field to hopefully show up as skill right so i if you always want to have a 6 a.m or 7 a.m whatever workout you think is optimal right probably not 6 a.m to get the the most bang for your buck for your athletes i think that's fine right keep that thing consistent we're just trying to whatever wiring motor patterns we're trying to create adaptation you could always keep that the same. But when I'm talking about skill, and when you have an O-lineman with a problem, it's bigger than what's happening in that strength and conditioning 
aspect. So we want to take O-linemen, we're trying to make them better at problem solving, uh, more confident at um, uh, adapting to the demands of the game, to the demands of the field. So how do you do that? So I have my ways that I have done it. Um, and I've stolen from others. I always stand on the shoulders of Giants. I can't even stand on them. I just listen to the Giants. So, like, um, that whole uh, idea of su- success leaving clues. So, you have your strength and conditioning. But when you're trying to fix a problem with an offensive lineman, a lot of that is rooted in making them more confident, more competent, better at decision-making, more adaptable. So, I remember, like, I'll give you an example. And maybe I can kind of pattern this out. Like I said, these are not planned. I think I said that. I'm not planning these because I don't want to do content. Freestyle. And I don't want to confuse you. You might get confused. Okay. So I remember Olin Krutz, you know, he would talk about things like his grandpa would do prior to them working out, like to throw a hiccup in there, right? Well, I've always looked at that was similar to what we would see as football players. We're going to see crazy stuff. You know, we're going to see different bodies, different alignments, um, different packages of the defense, different movement. And so we got to be ready for that. I don't think you have to have these crazy workouts and lifting-wise, but in football, I think there's something to talk about as we're developing skill. If you're just taking pass sets on turf at the same time, every day, on air, maybe against the shield, all summer long, maybe in tennis shoes only, and think that, oh, I've, I've really got these persons, his, his motor patterns, his pass set looks awesome. They're honed in. Look how smooth they look. I think, in my opinion, you're setting them up for failure, except for obviously the cream's going to rise to the top. But when you're really developing, you're trying to get better every year, that's what you're trying to do. I think you're just setting them up. I believe, I really truly believe you're setting them up for failure. Because I'll say if you're just going to take pass sets on air, in shoes or pass sets against a shield all summer and then show up to camp, I would say this is what happens. You, It's not negative. There's two things that really happen. Let's say you're adapting them from an energy system standpoint. And number two, you're getting their tissues ready for the demands of the movement they're going to have to do. But what does that have to do with making them better decision makers, more adaptable to chaos on the field? I don't believe it does anything. So to me, I think that movement needs to be done close to what's going to be happening in August, right? What's going to be happening in September? Put some cleats on. It's a different pass set, right? Keep, get your cleats on. It's a different pass set. Go on multiple surfaces. If you Don't go turf all year. Don't go grass all year. Try to go multiple surfaces. I'm not saying go sand, right? Because that, I would get, I'm better luck doing a gay joke than talking about sand in the strength and conditioning world. Uh, don't do sand, all right? Or do it. Do whatever you want. But I'm saying, just don't stay on one surface all year or in prep for seasons. So mix up the surfaces because it feels different. Your body is self-organizing different on turf as it is on grass. Long grass is different than short grass. Soldier field grass freaking sucks. It looks pretty, though. Uh, so did Cleveland's. It sucks. Arizona's grass is awesome, right? But you have to self-organize differently. You're adapting different. You're making decisions different. Change that up, right? Put some shoulder pads on. Like, and that's another thing Olin Cruz said. I will butcher his joke, and I don't want to butcher because that's one guy that could probably still beat up everyone in the NFL. 
uh, I think he's, I'll just say he's 39. I don't know how old he is. He played 14 years, though. Um, he said something to this degree he had on shoulder pads and a helmet in, like, June. And he was like, looks crazy, huh? You know what's crazy is showing up to camp in August after not wearing shoulder pads all year. And I'm like, duh, makes sense. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it's like shadow boxing and hitting a heavy bag and then go fight Mike Tyson. Good freaking luck. I know Rocky Balboa pulled it off in that one movie, Stop Sparring, because he had arthritis. And he did good, but as a movie. All right? Uh, go Rocky. Anyways, so change up surfaces. Put some shoulder pads on. Put helmets on. Give them a look. Have a guy working bull rush. If you have a person that, let's say, they over they, they get edged all day. Well, let's let's just work this out. Monday, they're in they're in cleats, they're in uh, shoulder pads, they're in helmets. Because when you take a set with a helmet on, it's a different set. I don't care what anyone says. When you put the shoulder pad on, it's different. You put on the weight, your perception, everything changes. All right. And let's say Monday, we're on grass. This person gets edged. We're gonna say, hey, you're not doing a good job of covering them up enough. You're not staying. You're not staying. You're just undersetting. So I'm going to walk. Don't touch me. Let's just work this pattern, right? Get used to it. Work to the decision-making. Okay, cool. Maybe f- And film it. Film it. Why not? Everyone, keep it out there. Film these things. Don't just film the Under Armour commercial to show you're working hard. Use these things, man. We have this technology now. Film it and say, okay, these look like you're covering him up better than in the film where you were getting edged. Okay, Tuesday. Now we're going to give him a rush. And we're only going to try to edge them. And if you're scared of getting your hands hurt, tape them up, put gloves on. That's what the fighters do every day. Even when they spar light, even when they hit the bag, they tape them up. Do it because that's what we play with except me. I didn't play with tape. I felt like I was well, I was stupid. That's why because now sometimes my knuckles hurt. Anyways, um, well, Mike Webster and Dwight Stevenson didn't wear tape. That's why I didn't wear tape because I'm not original and I'm not authentic. I like to be like everyone else. And I also wore a crossbar. And sometimes I look at that picture and I'm like, man, you look stupid. But I like it too. Um, so Tuesday, we're giving them a rush. We're telling you, hey, you get edge, we're only working the edge. Okay, well, then Wednesday, let's go on turf. Same thing, only the edge. Okay? And they're getting better at making decision-making. We're filming them. So maybe they were getting edged because what they perceived happened happened is happening and what really is happening are two different things. So we can cue up their perception, right? Oh, I feel like I'm covering them up. No, your knee is not close to their crotch. It's close to their it's close to the uh, other D lineman's outside hip or in whatever. You're not close. So you could start cueing up perception. That's what you use these for. Hey. What you're perceiving happening and what's actually happening are two different things. Here's why. Show them on film. Talk it through these. So now we're, we've done Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We got Tuesday. We're doing outside rush. Wednesday, we're trying to edge them. We're on a different surface. Thursday, go back to the grass. And Thursday, let's see. Are they more confident? Do they have a, does their perception match reality more, right? So now do they see what their, their previous perception of, they thought they were covering up. They were undersetting. Did they understand more that they were wrong? And Thursday, now throw in some chaos, right? Hey, I'm going to give you everything. We're still rushing. You might get edged. You might not. I might give them inside. And hit them with an inside move. Are they able to adapt? 
are they better are they able to make decisions or uh uh make decisions quicker in real times are they more confident are they more confident with chaos so to me when we're really looking at what's going on in the field with offensive linemen and i'm a meathead i love lifting heavy you know what i mean and i say that until i meet meatheads like uh uh garza and oh and they're meat garza is a true meathead i was not like that i am a white belt compared he is a, a fourth degree black belt meathead uh but i love the weight room like i got weights all over my house my garage is a gym it's called shabooms it's a great environment for development shabooms it's proven it gets people strong so i'm saying is that most solutions we're looking for it's not in that weight room it's as the stakes get higher in high school, get you get a guy stronger, they run faster, jump higher. Eventually, that cuts out, right? Eventually, running actually helps strength more. I don't want to piss people off, but it's true. You can maintain more strength by running max velocity uh, as you get older um, for most people. So I'm not saying don't do the weight room. Don't do the, the basics. Don't work. Absolutely work acceleration. Work acceleration like a sprinter. Work acceleration from your your type of stance, your type of base. Work deceleration from your type of base. I mean, like that wide base and steps. Work it all. But then when you're having addressing an issue with an O-lineman's development, you have to you have to find a way to make them more competent. And one, I'd say, I, I haven't even written this out. Like I said, I might confuse everyone. Let's just say number one is if they are, if they have something that's they're getting beat inside, getting beat outside. Let's just stick with the getting beat outside. Is their perception and reality two different things? So let's try to get those on the same page. Their perception and reality. Now, how do you do that? Well, you get repetition. You use your phone. You show them what's going on. When they get it right, they feel it. Hey, right there, you're set half man. You're set knee to crotch, whatever you're talking about. You're covering them up just slightly inside however you coach that right there do you feel that what did you feel different there well i felt like i overset so now we start chipping away at that and we're bringing perception and reality to the same level and that's what we want right then add in multiple surfaces still keeping that same stimuli that's something i would do it's not you know this is not the antidote like i'm a big believer in F your prescription. Like, it's got to adapt to the individual, right? Um, so, but maybe we switch service up. Then we go full chaos. And if we get the full chaos on Thursday and they crap the bed and they go back to under setting, we just rinse and repeat. But you, the goal is to get perception reality on the same level with offensive line. Um, so, and I don't even know, and I'm not bashing the Altus guy. I, first off, it's a great question. What's more important? I, I think no one talks about um, the. I, I don't think we talk about deceleration enough. Um, I, and I'm just saying for O line, more more times than not, that's not the problem, right? The weight room. I've seen some of the strongest guys. They could go do powerlift meets right now. Um, Garza. I mean, he's a good player. That's that's a bad example. But there's guys that could go do um, powerlift meets right now uh, that play O line, but. If I get them stronger, if I work their acceleration a little more, if I work their deceleration capability, is that the answer? I don't 
I don't think so. And I think uh, maybe Ross would agree. Maybe when I figure this tech stuff out, excuse me, uh, I could get Ross on here and he could really explain the self-organization as they talked about here. Makes you think of, dang, I wish I could credit this guy. Um, I saw Ross and I think the guy's Movement Miyagi. He actually came to my, I wasn't there the day he came to my old job, but Movement Miyagi was there talking about it. They were at some seminar on, I believe it was mainly talking about self-organization and stuff like that. And one of the quotes was, you shouldn't shadow box till you get punched in the face. And yeah, absolutely. Because I'll tell you right now, I shadow box all the time. That's how I like to warm up, right? Even when I'm doing upper body, I like to warm up shadow boxing. I'll go like 10, 30 second rounds, 30 second off, right? And I'm pretty sure it looks really good. I haven't filmed it, but I'm pretty sure my movement, my slips and everything look good. I'm cutting angles and everything. Uh, it doesn't look like that when I fight Larry Warford. It doesn't look like that when I'm doing Muay Thai necessarily, right? Um, but the more I fight, the more I spar, the more context I have to that shadow box, right? So back to that point of like, if you're just setting on air all the time, and I and I would, and I, I'm... I might piss people off. I, I feel like setting on the bag, I put that right next to shadow boxing. I would go shadow boxing, uh, setting on air, punching a heavy bag, hitting a bag. You know what I mean? I think they have great adaptation from an energy standpoint, from a tissue standpoint. Maybe a boxer's getting their knuckles harder. I don't know. But um, I feel like, yeah, I kick a bag, my shins get harder. Absolutely. But, you know, Conditioning for O-line, hitting a bag. That's like the heavy bag. A boxer in a heavy bag is conditioning. It's uh, But it's not teaching you space. You know what I mean? Like some of these shields are bigger, some are smaller, but you're not really getting space. You're not really getting having to make a decision because the D-lineman uh, is a little more mobile than that bag. So, yeah, back to that point. You shouldn't shadow box until you get hit in the face. Um, that's my point about setting on air all the time. Okay, even if you, you know, obviously, let's say we're talking about college, NFL, high school, they played football before, but they're getting ready. You have these long spaces in between. A lot of high schools don't have OTAs or, I mean, uh, spring ball. I don't think colleges had them. I don't even know what the, let's pretend COVID didn't happen. I don't want to say that I would get canceled. Uh, Let's just pretend that a bunch of teams didn't lose OTAs these past couple years and uh, spring ball. Um you still have these huge gaps in between. And if you're just practicing on air, you're taking, I feel like in camp, you're going to be in great shape, but you're having to relearn um, how to adapt and make decisions when it's something you can work on all year. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to go beat yourself up with 90% effort or hundred percent effort uh, with your friends wearing shoulder pads. You could do it at a spar tempo. Let's just say that. Okay. You got shadow boxing, football on air, O-line on air. You got heavy bag, speed bag. You got um, O-line on bags, right? And then you got sparring. Then you got uh, light work with your friends, hitting each other lightly, not going all out, not trying to hurt each other. And then, you know, if you're getting ready for a, a fight camp, maybe you have a couple hard rounds. A week, I think Max Holloway doesn't do any now. You know what I mean? We're talking fighters. 
I don't know. But maybe you take a couple hard, hey, we've just done 20 reps. I'm going to bull rush you really hard right now. or you, And then you could warn them or, hey, three of these reps are going to be full go. You don't have to tell them it's a bull rush. But I'm just saying, like, it doesn't have to be all out. Like, you're not trying to get beat up. You can't play football all year long. I'm well aware of that. I wish I could. Because I still like to go out there. And that's crazy because I still like to go out there with my friends when they're willing to put pads on. I haven't played since three years. I like to put pads on and do one-on-ones. I got a bunch of them saved on my phone. I like to look at my pad set. Uh, I don't know why. I think people stop playing basketball. They don't stop going to the park to play. That's how I look at it. I like to go to jiu-jitsu. I like to go to wrestling, catch wrestling. I like to go to Muay Thai. Uh, I like to go play football in pads at the park in the summer in Arizona. It's beautiful. And I like the pain that uh, comes with it. So, yeah. Anyways, back to that quote. I think I explained that pretty well. Is that um, if even if you have skin in the game and you've taken a lot of reps, you know that you get to camp. Um, you're. It doesn't feel right. It feels sloppy, right? And then if you were injured or you didn't have OTAs for whatever reason or you didn't have a spring ball for whatever reason, it's going to be really sloppy, right? And you're gonna you're gonna kind of get behind, but you can start finding a way to improve adaptability, decision-making, in your regular development. So, yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, I'm trying to shoot for an hour on these episodes. Um, I had another... I had a couple good uh, things from school. I've just been screenshotting uh, things from the book. Um, let me see here. I'm looking. You know what? I'll save that one. There's one right here. It's about, uh, Murray Bowen. It's going to be a long one and I'm probably going to have to figure it out as I go. So I'll save that for next time. So, um, maybe, yeah, for sure. No way. That can't be explained in 10 minutes. So there's a wrap-up. Okay. Um, first episode, hand on the line. Uh, what do we talk about? Talked about uh, respect, Carl's courage. I told you about how we got hand on the line's title. Um, and we talked about acceleration, deceleration, O-line development, and uh, get punched in the face before... You shadow box and have taken a pass set versus D line before you take a pass set on air ultimately. So I just said that in about 30 seconds. I think it took me 50 minutes to talk about. Anyways, um, if you like the show, I'm going to do this weekly. That's my goal right now. Um, it gets difficult with the kids because I have to, I'm really banking on them going to sleep at the right time. And that's chaos. So I have to find order through chaos, right? That's parenting, I feel like. So, uh, I don't seek order. I just find, I just discover it organically through the chaos. So if I could get them to bed on time, uh, eight, you know, and I can start this at eight thirty, finish it around nine thirty, I'm good because I don't like to go bed late. So, anyways, uh, give us a like. I'm gonna put this on YouTube and Apple. Give us a like. Share it with your friends. Taylor Boggs, Hand on the Line podcast. I'm out.